When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is another Monday Madness. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Lee Maurice, back from his, what, like 40, 50-year college reunion? Uh, close enough. Close <laughs> Did enough. it feel like it? A lot of gray hair. A lot of gray hair around it. It was funny. It was like uh, we were 25, actually 26, because my reunion got canceled last year, and they had to adjust some stuff, but basically all the reunion parties were in an area and everybody like 25 years and under was outside, like in a tent and everybody 30 years and older was inside in like a, with like a nice buffet in an indoor setting. And I was like, Oh, I can't wait until I'm old enough to be inside. <laughs> so I was on the edge of like the hip, you know, the people celebrating their five and 10 years were outside the tents getting in, dancing around and I was like this cold is making my back hurt put me inside with the roast beef you got to see something you so rarely saw as a student at Northwestern which was a Wildcats football win can I but something I did see was a guaranteed money-making opportunity against Rutgers (laughs) Rutgers was favored in that game by two and a half Rutgers the greatest trick the devil ever, devil ever pulled was making anybody think Rutgers was decent because they played a decent second half against Michigan. They stink. Yeah. Northwestern is not good, although Northwestern might win the West now that Iowa stinks also. But yeah. everybody in the West stinks. Rutgers is terrible. And I know all our friends at NJ.com are writing all those stories about how they should start playing their Quinn Ewers who we talked about before the Rutgers game, who's like on campus, ready to go. And it's like, this season is dead. Plan for the future. Play their Quinn Ewers. Yeah, I couldn't help but think of you when I saw that result because I knew that you were uh, supposed to be there. Uh, One big piece of news from the college football world that I feel like we have to touch on today before we get into the rest of our usual Monday madness is the parting of ways at LSU with coach Ed Orgeron because he says he's not also going to coach next year. So this may be our last opportunity in a while to hear from Coach O on Buckeye Talk. And I wanted, to, I wanted to give him a chance to call in and express his thoughts on this, this sudden but not surprising parting of the ways in Baton Rouge. Uh, Coach O has a statement to make. Uh, dear Tiger Nation, five years ago I fulfilled a lifelong dream and returned to US, LSU to coach uh, these Tigers in the Death Valley. I've loved LSU ever since, since I first touched a football on LaFarouche Parish in the late 60s. Uh, then Joe Burrow came and Joe Burrow saved Coach O's bacon. I love Joe Burrow. Thank you, Joe Burrow, saving my bacon. Making me millions of dollars, Joe Burrow. Thank you, Joe Burrow. I'm out. That was the full, I, I just read, that was verbatim. 
from the statement released by wait there's a ps ps i just want to say one more time joe burrow i just i love you brother joe burrow i cannot coach o can't believe the the lucky stars of coach o to have a joe burrow i coach o is still stunned that joe burrow was joe burrow let me but count it, the ways <laughs> one million two million six million <laughs> 17 million there's nothing that a coach longs for more and a coach's long life than a quarterback and when that quarterback you found is joe burrow there's just you never forget joe burrow again and i couldn't find another joe burrow so coach o out <laughs> no more joe burrows no coach o we don't have to get into this but some of the stories that are now coming out about the coach o tenure as it relates to just like random women around the greater baton rouge area are fairly fascinating you can find them for yourself on twitter but they they paint a picture of uh dysfunction and nonsense that was sort of draped over that program pretty much from the moment that joe burrow threw the last pass took the last knee whatever in the national championship game it is quite a dichotomy for buckeye talk because coach o is out and stetson bennett is the best player in college football all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable Uh, The world's been turned on its ear. I was thinking today, though, so Coach O is the third straight coach to win a national championship at LSU. Hmm. Which is weird until you stop and think about it, and it's Les Miles won one there, Nick Saban won one there. So three straight. Is LSU a better job than Ohio State? No. But it's probably a better job than those of us in Ohio realize and would think about. You're, you're still in the same division as Bama, and that's yep. real. Yep. You're in LSU, you're in Louisiana, which is talent-rich, but it's not quite like being in Florida or Texas or California, right? That you're still fighting a lot of people. You, own, you should own the recruiting in Louisiana, and they do. But you still have to go out and fight for guys in Houston and guys in other areas of the South. But it is like an excellent job, and I know everybody down there says the AD down there is going to swing for the fences with somebody. So – it's hard. There's just, you have more obstacles. And I think you probably have, I think some people would argue that Ohio State's the best job in the country, right? Because you have almost all the resources of all the schools in the South without as many of the obstacles. And with that, and probably without, even though there's, it's incredibly pressure packed, maybe not quite the same as sort of like the win at all costs stuff in the SEC. Although, you know, watching Ohio State coach lose four games two years in a row and ask if Ohio State's win at all costs or not. It is. So, but it's probably, I mean, it's definitely top 10, probably definitely top seven, maybe top five. And so uh, they should get somebody really good. But I think Ohio State's still better. Do you think Ohio State's still better or no? I do think Ohio State is still better, but uh, partially because they get to kind of have, they don't have their Alabama that they have to deal with every year. And it's not just their Alabama. It's always the sub-Bamas that are swimming around. Right who are always nipping at your heels, ready to, to, to jump up. So although that was LSU a couple of years ago and they won a national championship and it's been that way, you know, they won three in the last generation or however you want to say it. So, yeah. it, you know, it's, I, it did make me think it, it, it's probably a better job. Like you're saying, probably a better job than we think of on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, Alabama is a, a better job. I, it Listen, depends on like, how you define job, too, though, because right. the, the, the pressure and the expectations at a place like Bama are so insane that 
maybe that maybe that disqualifies it from being in that conversation too. And like, for instance, I think we always would throw like a job like Texas into something into this yeah. conversation. And I know like my, you know, my college football playoff co-host Shahan knows all that stuff in Texas football very well. And like, just like Texas is so difficult to navigate with the boosters and the influence of the donors and stuff that I don't know what that's like at LSU, but if LSU is just like, Hey, we're in the South, we're in a fertile recruiting ground. Everybody here really cares about football and yeah, you got to play Bama, but like come coach football and like, you know, kind of do your thing and you'll be okay. There are parts of that that could be better than some other places where you're fighting the administration or you're fighting a culture where the boosters feel like they run the place. I don't know enough about LSU to discuss that. But again, it's possible LSU is like way, way, way up there in a way that we might not immediately think. So we don't have an Ohio State game to recap this week, coming off of the off week. This is what we usually do with the first segment here. I thought we would spend that time recapping the first half, sort of. And I thought we would do it in a way that just ties into what I'm writing for the Monday Madness column for Monday morning, which is kind of doing my um, awards, giving out my Ohio State awards for the first half of the season. I tried to come up with some categories. There's some some obvious categories here, but there's some others that I thought would get us to some interesting conversations. So. Just to start things off, I mean, the, the obvious one, most valuable player. Who do you pick as Ohio State's most valuable player for the first half of the season? And this is not who I would have assumed maybe that I'd be going with at the start of the year just because there are so many other talented guys on this team that you would have thought would have maybe been the reason why this guy has his the success he's having. But I think I have to pick C.J. Stroud for Ohio State's MVP at midseason. Uh, this is similar to like the discussion we had when we drafted. So like what, what, but I did not pick him. I, I, I took Trevion Henderson with the first pick. So you don't think he's the best football player on the team, right? No. So why is he the MVP? Is it because he plays the most important position and he's done a good job? Yes. And is it because you think that if he was not doing it, they wouldn't have somebody who could do it at a level that would make them as competitive as they are. Cause I think taking the backup into account is a fair thing to do yes. in an MVP conversation. Yes. And that's not even necessarily a dig at Cal McCord. It's just a fact that I don't think he's there yet. Yeah. I don't know. Like he's not the best player. I'd pick Garrett Wilson. Like it's just, it's just how you see it. Right. I mean like Garrett Wilson just like does his job at an incredibly high level all the time. His presence on the field scares the crap out of defenses. If you try to put guys in the box to stop Trevor Henderson, he will set your defense on fire. If you have to respect the passing game, and again, I know it's the same conversation again, but they have two of them, and I know they have a lot of them. But at some point, like I'm not just, I'm just not going to not give awards to receivers because they have too many good receivers. And CJ, CJ's not one of the. I don't know. I guess we could. It'd be interesting to try to find out. Like CJ Stroud is the blank best quarterback in college football right now. Like the mm -hmm. way he's playing on a game-to-game -game basis, let's say the last two weeks. He's the blank best quarterback. I don't well, know what I, the answer to that would be, but I just think Garrett Wilson is higher on the list at his position than C.J. Stroud is. Even if C.J.'s top five, I think Garrett might be one. So I think I would still say Garrett because I do still think this passing game is what makes him go. And the quarterback happens to have a bevy a bevy, bevy, bevy of receivers to throw to to help him perform at a very high level. And that is not a criticism of C.J. Stroud. 
Correct. And, and I think, I think Wilson would be my number two. And I, before the season, he was who I picked to be Ohio state's like preseason MVP. The guy that I thought would, there would be like he reaching him taking another step this year would make him the most valuable player of the offense. And I think you can definitely make that argument. And again, I don't want to rehash the whole thing that we, the whole argument that we discussion we had when we did the draft earlier this week, like you look at CJ Stroud's numbers and when you look at the raw numbers, especially those can be very misleading, you know, yards and touchdowns because those can be very dependent on the performance of the person you just threw the ball to. I will say his, his quarterback rating 191.15 is number two in the country, like all of FBS and yards per attempt. He is also second. Now that also can be dependent on, on your, your receiver's performance. But both of those speak to not just production, but in, in efficiency in the, I'm seeing him trend towards the, the description that I always used for fields, which was like that explosive efficiency that you didn't, mm. you could have that, that like calm baseline of performance, but still have kind of the eruptive upside of it. He's not there yet. I'm not comparing what they've done so far, but the, the it is trending, I think in that direction, but we're about to see, I think, some some really interesting things. We'll talk about this more with Indiana and some of the other teams are going to play in the second half of the year. But uh, the the tougher tests still await him, obviously. Uh, my so that was most valuable player. I also put most invaluable player on here, which I guess also is open to interpretation. Well, how doesn't we, it mean the same it? thing as most valuable? What does invaluable I, I thought maybe mean? I should maybe I will maybe I will rephrase it by the time you can help me rephrase it then like the most essential player most um it's not like it's different than most outstanding player it's like the most like indispensable player yeah but that but but what we didn't do most outstanding player we did most valuable player right, which I think right. indispensable is sort of wrapped up in that as well I mean I I don't know maybe there's an argument of like well, Garrett Wilson's the most outstanding player and CJ Stroud's the most valuable slash invaluable player. Cause like if you didn't have a quarterback who could do all this stuff and given that what we saw of Kyle McCord and that nobody else is ready, man, if you didn't have CJ Stroud, if CJ Stroud got abducted by aliens tomorrow, they might be in trouble. If Garrett Wilson got abducted by aliens tomorrow, would you say their offense was in trouble? Maybe not. So maybe that's the distinction outstanding and valuable. Um, because I do think, but if you're talking about like invaluable, holds everything together, wouldn't want to be without him. I mean, I do think Ronnie Hickman enters the conversation in some kind of range of that that is not most outstanding, is not most dynamic, but is like the do your job at a do your job award, right? I think Ronnie Hickman was on a list for that. That's exactly who I was thinking of. I I almost think that I I came up with that answer before I wrote the category because I wanted a way to – recognize what he has done for this team in the first half of the season and to go from where he was late last year, which was still pretty much off the radar to, and and just getting some, some flashes, but even not sustained flashes. Right. I mean, he he kind of showed up against Michigan state and we said like, Hey, how about you remember Ronnie Hickman? And then we didn't really talk about him again, except in like one of those like speculative things, what he could he be next year? And then now he, you can't take him off the field. Like they don't, right. like he, he's out there every play. So that was who I was leaning towards from that description. I also think I, I, I had a category here for most improved player. I think he could also qualify for that as well. Again, just as someone who 
especially when you consider that he, yes, he is basically a safety. And now he is especially more or less just a safety, but is asked to do more than that and was asked to sort of transform himself into to more than just a safety and in a way that is uh, a piece of this defense that is uh, crucial to, to whether it functions or not, I think, on a snap-to-snap basis. It's funny because a lot of the guys who really are flashing in a way that's new are true freshmen. So it's like most improved. It's like, well, Trayvon Henderson. It's like, well, improved from what? Like improve from his senior year of high school when he didn't play football. So like Denzel Burke and Trayvon Henderson and Tyleek Williams and guys like that wouldn't be eligible for something like that. For improved, I think Hickman's there. I think Jackson Smith, the jig is probably there too, yep. right? That that yep. is like a guy who went from like, yeah, no, he's going to start or whatever to like, wow, no, that guy's a playmaker. So I think improved, I think Hickman and, and JSN are probably the two guys I think of. The, the other guy that I would throw in the conversation is Cam Brown, although the reason he didn't impact last year was injury more than um, just being behind or whatever. But I think he, he's better than I – he's had a bigger impact than I expected. When healthy, yeah. I think he's been better than I expected. I didn't, I didn't think that we'd be talking about Cam Brown as being one of the two best corners on this team, especially when uh, – Denzel Burke was going to be the other one. Yeah. That's like almost like comeback player of the year kind of stuff. When it's the guy coming back from injury who it wasn't, he wasn't, it's not that he wasn't good last year. It was that he was hurt. And like when he was out there early in the year, he seemed pretty decent and then he got hurt and that was it. And we just didn't know. So, um, but also even when he was playing last year, he wasn't like a every down starting outside corner. And now when he's healthy, he is playing at that level. So that's another good one. Freshman of the half year, besides Stroud, if you're going to make Stroud the most valuable player, which is what I was leaning towards, who who would you nominate as, or who would you recognize? And I think this is without question, even though I took, again, I took Trevion Henderson number one on my thing, I think this has to be Denzel Burt, just for the impact that he's made on this team. I don't know. I still might take Trevion. I think Travion, I think if you didn't have a ferociously dynamic running back as part of this offense, you do put a little bit of a ceiling on this offense and give defenses a way to play the Buckeyes. And when you fear that Travion Henderson might go 70 yards every time he touches the ball, I think it changes how you have to play them. And so as much as a number one corner is a huge deal and Denzel Burke has done it from the jump, and Travion Henderson had to ease into it. I think Travion Henderson would have done it from the jump, but they'd have played him yeah. more. So I still think I would go with Travion because I don't – like since he started being – since he became the starting running back, has he done anything wrong? Like um, – You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I would – I mean, I would say no. Like, like largely he's done nothing wrong. Ryan Day has a couple times – when he's been assessing Trevin Henderson made this allusion to, he's got to take care of the football, which makes me wonder if they've seen things on film. Like, is he getting loose with it? Is he getting a little or something, but maybe they're just nitpicking too, to kind of keep a guy who's blasting into the stratosphere um, kind of down to earth a little bit, but no, I mean, what, what, what has he done wrong? I mean, he's, he's averaging like eight and a half yards of carry still or whatever. So, so let me, let me just get this straight. Ryan day is finding somewhat negative things to say about the 
freshman All-American who has set the world on fire and broke the freshman record for rushing yards in a game, to me that just means he's awesome, (laughs) right? As we've covered many times. I think all of our listeners are now on alert for Ryan Day criticism means the player is good, and Ryan Day praise means he's trying to lift the player up because he might be having a little bit of a struggle. Like we just, we just, it's reverse psychology across the board on almost everything that Ryan Day says specifically about players. Because if he doesn't try to come, has he fumbled? Was he fumbled? One fumble? Uh, I can't, and he hasn't lost a fumble, I don't believe. So, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's for real. Like, we're really going to ball security the guy averaging eight and a half yards a carry because <laughs> we can't come up with anything else because he's freaking electric. So, um, it's almost one of those things where, like, it's the opposite of, like, when you say that, like, when you're talking about grades and, like, that's a bad sign. It's like, if you're talking about ball security with a guy who hasn't fumbled, that's a good sign. Right. I thought, I thought you were going to say he's brought up, like, pass protection. Because that's another one, too. It's like, well, you know. it's like, And, like, when they talk about receivers blocking and stuff, it's like, well, it's because all the other stuff, they're awesome yeah. at. Yeah. Uh, here's my case for Burke. and Because, again, I picked Trevion Henderson number one in the draft. So I'm not – I have no illusions as to how great Trevion Henderson is. But if Trevion Henderson didn't exist or if he decided to play at Virginia, whatever, I think Ohio State would still be 5-1 and one right now. I think you're right that it makes that offense less dynamic it makes them more vulnerable against better defenses. I think Ohio State would still be 5-1 and one right now. I think if Denzel Burke had stayed in Arizona, Ohio State might have already lost twice. Like to Tulsa? Maybe to Minnesota. And he wasn't great against Minnesota, but now just imagine uh, that opening night where Ohio State doesn't have seven banks, Denzel Burke, or Cameron Brown. Yeah. Also, if they had started Trayvon Henderson against Oregon, they might be 6-0. and So, oh, okay. Uh, like, I'll listen to that. I, listen, I mean, I'm not so sure. We should probably check on this. I'm not so sure they're not the two best freshmen in the Big Ten. True freshmen, right? Because uh, C.J. Stroud is yes. a second-year player who keeps winning freshman of the week because he redshirted last year because he barely played. Yep. So, But, like, true freshmen, guys who were in high school last year – is there anybody in the Big Ten that's better than Trayvon Henderson and Denzel Burke or more valuable? Nobody, like, jumps to mind. And if they were, they would have maybe won Big Ten Freshman of the Week by now. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ohio State, well, we'll find out, like, whoever wins it this week when Ohio State isn't eligible. But right. it, it, most weeks it's probably just going to be Stroud because the quarterback at Ohio State's always going to put up numbers and he qualifies. It's almost like one of those things where, like, at some point do you just, like, take yourself out of the running? Like, do you really need to win it nine times? No, it's like one of those things. <laughs> Call it the C.J. Stroud Award and give it to somebody else. Yeah. I remember uh, John Larroquette, you remember from uh, Night Court, he played Dan Fielding on Night Court, and he like won the supporting actor comedy Emmy for like a bunch of years in a row. And finally, at some point, he just said, like, I'm not like, take me out of it. Like, I don't need to win this every year. Yeah. Which is kind of like one of those like humble brag things almost where like, uh, you know, just I don't want to be eligible this year because I've won it six times or whatever it is. So very like. Very current reference. Yeah, by know, you on that but hey. but uh, they're doing a Night Court reboot with John Larroquette. Really? John Larroquette's going to be on it. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Google it. I heard someone talking about it. It's very exciting for that? people who love things from the 80s. R.I.P. Harry Anderson. Um, and Marky Post. And Marky Post. And Yeah. Everybody. It's just John Larroquette standing in an empty courtroom. Being like, oh, it's so sad everybody else died, but I'm still here. And, and I won another award. I'm back in. Is Bull, what was his name? Bull, the um, 
The bailiff again, the bailiff? just shedding listeners. Ross. Absolutely, <laughs> we've now gone to we're naming the cast of Night Court. I think- it was the fourth best show on Thursday nights when it was on <laughs> on its own network. And we've are we're spending ninety seconds. I on couldn't it. think of a more current reference of somebody who just took themselves out of the running. But maybe somebody else out there uh, texted at us if you think you have uh, something more recent. But I, I, I bet we're getting some texts about people who uh, man, I'd forgotten about Night Court. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, biggest surprise. I, I thought this was like uh, the the no brainer. Like we completely dismissed Steel Chambers being a person who would play snaps this year, and he's a you wouldn't call him a starting linebacker on this team, but he has like a, a, a standing role with the first string defense. Yeah. Like good surprise. Cause there's some weird surprises yeah. kind of, we'll get to that in I, a second. I like, it depends when we would have voted. I think them shifting the offensive line to make Dewan mm-hmm. Jones a starter. And then the Dewan Jones being like very, very good is a surprise just because it felt like, well, they have it set. Why would they – what? Like, they're going to move Thayer inside and Petit Fred left tackle. And, and that, that – once they did it, I mean, I was a little like, I don't know for sure. Well, I don't know for sure about Dewan Jones. I didn't think he'd be terrible. So I would say I am not – like, slightly surprised, I guess, that he's been as good as he is. But I'm more surprised that this is the – you know, if you would have said in July, this is what the starting offensive line was going to be. That's not, I would not have expected that. But Steel Chamber is also an excellent one. And then again, like Denzel Burke, huge surprise. But like we already covered that, freshmen are often surprises, but I don't yeah. think anybody had him as the no. best cornerback on the team this year. No, I think people saying that maybe he could be in the mix, like if they went to a three-man rotation, that he would be one of the guys. I think that was on in the cards. But like starting on opening night, and even that at the time seemed like, well, Brown and Banks aren't playing, so somebody's got to start. And then he's right. just never left the starting lineup. He's just been, uh, right. he's just been that good. Um, I, I would go with Chambers just simply because of how how dismissive we were of it. Or like, maybe I should just speak for myself. But like I, no, I know, was too. I was. It, too. it was you know okay, he's going from the number five running back to being like the number seven or eight linebacker. What, what, we, we made fun of it being like the most overcovered story of the preseason. And then, but now he's, he's a guy. And, and I think what is me, I guess I'll say this. If you had told me that like, well, you know, like Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope aren't even going to be on this team anymore in midseason. And Palie Neatote is not really ever come around to being something. So Steel Chambers is actually going to have to play snaps. I would have been like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess I understand that. But he's actually playing. I mean, he's he's playing well. He, he's proved, I think, that he deserves playing time and can actually help this team. I mean, there certainly is opportunity yes. there at that position. 100%. And if their linebackers were recruiting like their receivers are, then there wouldn't be opportunity because they would be like, oh, it's right. like, hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, Brian there. Hey, Brian. We got a converted safety here who wants to play receiver. What do you think? You think he can get time? Think he can squeeze his way in there? Brian Hartline would like slam the door in your face and be like, I got five stars who can't get on the field. No, I don't need a converted safety in this room. But linebacker, the way things have gone, has created opportunity. All credit to Steel Chambers. He has played very well. I think people need to keep in mind that they lost their four best linebackers and that the linebacker standard at Ohio state right now, like right now 
let's say over the past whatever, let's say in the Ryan Day era, three years, right? The standard, and this is going to sound like criticism because I guess it is. <laughs> like the expectation level of what is a guy at this position supposed to do to start here? I think it's, is it the lowest of any position? I don't know. And again, they just had four good players. Everybody liked them. Brian Browning. I mean, Baron Browning and Pete Werner and Tuck Borland with Justin Hilliard. We all know it. But, you know, I mean, it's not Chris Olave. It's not Travion Henderson. It's not Jeff Okuda. It's not Chase Young, as we've covered it before. So Steel Chambers, they moved him partly because they needed help. And he has done an awesome job helping them at a position of need. I would just be a little careful about, wow, because it's like, well, there's an opportunity for wow there that probably, frankly, shouldn't be there because like they kind of need to raise the linebacker level up to where the standard is at like almost every other position on the team, frankly. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying there. You have a better perspective over of it over you know 20 years, but I think what you, your point that just relative to the other positions right now. I think that's, that is probably true. I will say, you know, they have two other starting linebackers who are the early down starting linebackers who he plays over on later downs. So that, that says something. And they didn't make, you know, they didn't give Craig Young those snaps, a guy who has linebacker experience. They didn't, I don't know who else. That's the other thing is like, I don't know who else would be better suited for what they're asking him to do right now. So it does make me wonder though, next year you get a, a new batch of young linebackers in who are more conventional linebackers. Um, how does that shake out when there's an, another position battle there? He's got some more competition. We'll, we'll see, but for now he, he is helping them do some things. Um, biggest mystery. I, this is the one where I put seven banks just because I, I think the, the early, the preseason draft prognostication didn't do him any favors. I did. I looked like today, for instance, I was looking back at his stuff. Pro Pro Football Focus had him allowing receptions on all 11 of his targets against Alabama last year in the national championship game. Now, you could be playing a zone defense where that sort of thing happens, but that's still 11 for 11 is pretty egregious. So there were definitely still, I thought some of the the expectations of him being a first round pick were a little bit out over people's skis, but there's still. I, the, the the idea that he has been such a non-factor so far is what's the mystery to me. I agree, but there are – it's interesting that there are, like, multiple candidates because this has been a little bit of a mysterious season. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because Ryan Day talks about injuries less than Urban Meyer did because Urban was, frankly, kind of upfront with a lot of injury stuff. And that Ryan, again, it seems kind of purposefully keeps talking about this, well, guys practice a certain way. And it feels like how you practice in a week is absolutely translating to how much you play on Saturday on a week-to-week basis. But I would throw Harry Miller in here. Mm-hmm. And that a guy that we was like, okay, well, he didn't have a great year last year at left guard, but we assume he's going to be the starting center. Lots of guys struggle in year two and pop in year three. He's a five-star recruit. And, like, it's just been Luke Whipler. And there was an injury associated with it, and but now he's back, and he's like, right when you and Steven are watching, like who's taking pregame snaps, it's like 
Harry Miller snapping to the fourth string quarterback and stuff. And it's just like, okay, well, we get it. Luke Whipler's the guy now, but like Harry Miller is like not involved in the offensive line anymore. I don't, in a world where Matthew Jones and Dewan Jones have both carved out very important roles for themselves and like Harry Miller and Luke Whipler and Harry Miller is just like a non-factor. And, and even if it's, it's certainly is somewhat injury related, but it's not like it was a, Oh, he had a thing and he's out for the year because he's back now, but he's not back in a way that is factoring into playing time. And again, I don't know that we, it's possible also, I think mystery we maybe should grade things on like what is a mystery to Doug? Because I'm just confused and I don't know what's happening. And what is a mystery like to everyone? Mm-hmm. But Harry Miller is at least still a mystery to me. I know you're texting stuff out. 614-350-3315. Oh, he's walking off practice doing this or his leg braces. Like you're providing information. And I'm just sitting at home on my couch scratching my head like a gorilla. Well, no, I think, but what I appreciate is the perspective that you have of sometimes things that we see maybe for the first time, you can be like, oh no, like we've, we've experienced this like four or five times in the past. And this is what these signs have meant. And even if it's a new coaching staff, it's not the Urban Meyer way of approaching some of those things. But, but you're right that, that Ryan Day's secrecy in this regard is part of the reason why some of this has been a mystery. And at least with Harry Miller, he was just on the unavailable report from the jump. So we knew something was up there from a physical standpoint, some kind of medical standpoint. With Banks, that wasn't the case. And that, right. as we've talked about before, that's contributed to it. By the way, it is weird. Like, I still follow um, – I still get text updates, like the, 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 the Twitter updates from Mike Carmen, who I used to cover Purdue with. And, like, all the time, like, every week, there's, like, multiple times a week where it'll buzz in and say, like, oh, here, Jeff Brom just told us information about the medical status of a football player. And I'm always like, man, that must be refreshing. (laughs) Yeah. We know that this guy is hurt for this reason and won't play for this long. And it didn't prevent them from going and winning a game on Saturday. What, uh, how about that? Uh, Biggest absence. I put Josh Proctor here. It just feels like that this is the one place, even though that there's reason to expect this defense to keep getting better. Um, it's the one spot where I feel like they may not be able to get back to where they could have been. Like it's the one place where they can get, they can be a better defensive line than they were on opening day. They can be a better linebacker unit than they were on opening day. The cornerbacks can be better than they were on opening day. I just don't think the free safety position will be back, will be better than it was on opening day probably, or where, or, or certainly better than where it could have been by the end of the season if Proctor had stayed healthy. No, I, I think I agree with that because they don't – they're not – I mean, that we've had sort of the mysterious guys we just talked about. They haven't had like another absolutely, right, like devastating out-for-the-season injury for a guy that they really need. No. I mean, uh, um, Tyreek Smith's been out for three weeks now. I was going to say him, and it's like, well, that's like more snaps for JTT, but – or JT, excuse me. But like I do I, – I think Tyreek Smith is the runner-up in that category. Yeah. Best assistant coaching performance. This is where I got into talking about Harry Miller because I would put Greg Strudrawa here for the thing. And also Mm. where I would talk about the offensive line too, that you middle of preseason camp, you flip your offensive line on its ear 
And then on top of that, you don't have Harry Miller, who was supposed to be the presumptive starting center and was a returning starter on this offensive line. And like all of the analytics say Ohio State's offensive line has been either good or great. Uh, Football Outsiders has them in the top five of a lot of their offensive line metrics. They have them number one in yards per carry on standard downs, which is sort of the most basic thing. But like what's okay? it's just a normal down and you line up and run the ball. Who gets the most yards? They have Ohio State number one there. And Pro Football Focus has OSU first nationally in run blocking and 25th in pass blocking. And we've talked before about the, the wonkiness of those, but that's, that's a, that's a good combo I think there. So, um, and then on top of that, Stradrawa was out for like two weeks and yeah. somehow, and you could, I guess, argue either way, whether that should make him more or less eligible for an award like this. But I would say without buying too much into the, the coaching spiel that the, your development up to that point, and kind of the way that you have built your room are important in helping you get through a little blip like that. So I picked, I picked Strudrawa as my best assistant coaching performance so far. Yeah. And, and a little nod, and Steven has mentioned this, like a little nod to Kennedy cook, who's yep. uh, the grad assistant with the offensive line who sort of held things down while stud was out. It is interesting. It's one of those things. What's a better sign that, when you're out, you've trained everyone around you so well that they can survive without you so that you're not missed that much. Is that a better sign? Or is it when you're out, things fall to absolute complete chaos? Because if you're not there on a daily basis, nobody knows what to do. So I think you can spin that however you want to spin it. Both can yeah. be true. I think in this situation, you've got a bunch of veteran guys in Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere. Um Matthew Jones, who have been around. Paris Johnson is as sharp as they come. Luke Whippler is as sharp as they come. Dewan Jones has absolutely busted his butt to put himself in this situation. And I think Kennedy Cook's a good, like, grad assistant. I think it's a credit. So I do think it's a credit to Stud. I do think Matt Barnes has a case, right, yep. that yep. they took play calling away and they gave it to somebody else and it got better. So I don't I, – you know, is Matt Barnes a genius? I don't know if he's a genius, but it's better than it was. And it was kind of like, well, he at least had done it a little bit before and like kind of Al Washington and Larry Johnson really hadn't. I'm not saying – and I know Larry Johnson, again, is is much more involved as well. So we don't want to give too much credit to Matt Barnes, but it's like, well, you know, things were kind of not working and they switched it and – it's improved. So I think, I think uh, he would be in the running as well. I actually think a lot of people would say Matt Barnes because it's such an obvious thing, but I think your stud point it is very well taken in, in your argument there. And I think that actually might be the better answer. And the further argument for Matt Barnes would be, he's still the secondary coach of a very young secondary that is playing better than people expected. Probably expect, especially if you had told them they were going to lose Josh Proctor and seven banks, it was going to kind of be a non-factor before the season. Yeah, yeah. Last remaining category, biggest remaining question. I'm trying not to have this be as broad of an answer as I first wrote it, but like, how vulnerable is this defense when it plays a either more dynamic and or better coached offense again? I still feel like I the the trend is real. That doesn't necessarily mean the the defense has arrived. And Oregon didn't just beat Ohio State with some skill guys because I don't think we looked at them offensively skill-wise. 
think you have to have respect for like what CJ Verdell was doing, but like it wasn't skill that beat Ohio State that day. It was it was coaching. Either the the adjustments that weren't were and weren't happening on that day, or the six days that led up to that, or the six months that led up to that. However you want to look at it, like so, coaching was a big factor in why that upset happened. So I still have some reservations about how good Ohio State's defense really is. At the same time, beyond just the performance of the last couple of weeks, you also look at a defense that has not had Tyreek Smith, that has, you know, Haskell Garrett's been a little banged up. Cam Brown's been a little banged up. And unlike the offense where we have gotten to see the best healthy combination of everybody, we haven't seen that on defense yet. So that still does lead me to believe that while the tests are going to be greater, the performance could actually also still be better because you'll actually get to see Ohio State's full defense other than Proctor later this season. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you could I think you could take like almost everything you just said and insert Ohio State offense for Ohio State defense and kind of make the same argument. Maybe. And and it really, maybe it's not even inserting Ohio State offense. It's just inserting C.J. Stroud as a young quarterback because we know Olave and Wilson are good. We know the offensive line is good. I think it's fair to assume that Trayvon Henderson will still get something done because you can't do as much to a running back. They can mess with a quarterback, a young quarterback more. You know, they just, again, Oregon's like ranked in the 30s and they didn't have their best defensive player. But Penn State, Steve, I'm looking at the F-plus ratings, kind of like DVOA for college football mm-hmm. from football outsiders. Penn State's defense is fifth. Iowa's his second, if that would be, in fact, the team that Ohio State would have to play um, in the Big Ten Championship game. Michigan's 12th. Michigan State is 22nd. And all those are higher than anybody they've played. Yeah. So, And those are all numbers uh, prior to the past weekend. They have not right. been updated yet for the last weekend. So I think, you know, I just like – I think the Penn State secondary is pretty fr- freaking good. And – you know, Iowa, they may or may not see. They're going to see Penn State in two weeks. And so when it's Joey Porter and Jaquan Brisker and Tariq Castro-Fields and, and a different set of secondary guys that are quite a bit better than Rutgers, I'm curious. Like, I, I don't know for sure, but, I mean, but, that Nathan, that's just a thing. Well, I, I take that back. I was going to say that's a thing. That's a legitimate thing. But I think that's a thing that what I was going to say, like, that's a thing we say about Ohio State a lot, which is like, well, they just need to play a better team. But yet, like, when they have Chase Young, I'm not like, well, they better play Wisconsin's offensive line because I'm not exactly sure how Chase Young, if he's actually good, it's like Chase Young is awesome. And when they, you got to a point with Justin Fields, it's like, well, they're going to play a better defense. It's like, yeah, but still, I don't think you can stop Justin Fields because he can, he's accurate and he's efficient. And he's explosive with his legs and he throws a great deep ball. And you just got to a point where their best guys were their best guys against everyone, even Clemson. And I just don't think we're there with the defense as a whole. And I don't think we're there with the quarterback. I think we are there with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jeremy Ruckert and Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Fred and everybody else on the offensive line. So, um, but I think we're going to see it. Maybe not against Indiana, but I think we'll see a decent chunk of – well, no, Indiana will test, I think, the Ohio State offense and will test C.J. Stroud, and Penn State will as well. I don't think we'll get a test for the Ohio State defense until Penn State, and that's only if Sean Clifford plays. If Sean Clifford's still not playing, then I think we're still not going to know 
about the Ohio State defense for sure. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about Indiana when we come back from this break. I will say that thing you're talking about with Chase Young, sometimes it's just you know it when you see it. When No matter who they're playing, when it looks unfair, that just speaks for itself. And the offense, I think, is getting close to that. I thought some of what happened against Rutgers and Maryland, and again, Maryland was without some of its best defensive backs, but some of those catches, some of those plays were starting to look like, well, what are they supposed to do? So yeah. when, you, when you start trending in that direction, I feel like the offense is much closer to that than anything that's happening on defense. And I don't think defense is probably going to get – it's not going to have that this year. But does, can the defense get other teams off the field enough, get the ball back in its offense's hands? That's what this – this defense is just a delivery device for the ball back to the offense and right. for the most part. You don't really have to go out and shut teams out. You keep teams to, you know, 21, 24, 27 points – you should probably expect to beat just about anybody with this offense, I think, as long as it keeps clicking the way it is. So that's kind of just still my lasting thing I want to be answered here in the next month to six weeks. Nice. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the upcoming week for Ohio State, Saturday's game at Indiana, and what else is going on in the Big Ten here on Buckeye Talk. Time for the Monday Madness categories. Our first one is always story of the week. And this is, it's going to extend off of what you were just saying, but it's says, how does Ohio State slash, and actually probably more so, C.J. Stroud respond to a strong defense? And Indiana is not a very good football team right now, but the defense is pretty solid. And I thought they looked pretty solid against Michigan State. They, they bottled uh, Kenneth Walker up fairly well. And they were even missing some guys. I think Micah McFadden's playing through an injury. Tywon Mullen didn't play. Another starting corner whose name's escaping me right now, uh, I don't believe played. Um, they're, they're missing some important guys. And I don't know if Mullen is expected back for the Ohio State game yet. But this is still a defense that either through talent or I think maybe just as importantly, the way that they approach defense, the way that they scheme defense, the way that they uh, uh, coach things um, can maybe give C.J. Stroud some issues. It gave Justin Fields some issues last year. People might be, you know, we think of that game a lot in terms of what Michael Penix did, but there was also Justin Fields' worst game until the Northwestern game. And a lot of it was just the things IU did that Ohio State hadn't seen before or just new wrinkles on some things that they'd seen before that confused Fields and made him look very human in a way that we hadn't really seen before in a college game. So it makes me wonder, like, even if the talent isn't as good this year for Indiana, what are they going to bring schematically? What are they going to bring in terms of blitzes, where they come from, uh, how they do things up front on the line? Like, what are they going to do to try to confuse him or at least try to get that split second of thought from him that might be the difference between a completion and an incompletion? And I don't know, I don't want to like give credit to a team for having an incredibly disappointing season, but like they have nothing left to lose. They right. should blitz nine guys from 12 different yep. spots every down. Cause like, who cares? People thought you might be the second best team in the East and like you're fighting to be the fifth best team in the East. So good luck. Your quarterbacks hurt your seasons in flames. Like let it all hang out. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to manifest itself, but we have seen Indiana be good on defense in the past. And when we were doing our preseason rankings, 
about the best people that Ohio State was going to face this year, we had a decent number of Indiana defensive players on that list. And again, going by another ranking, SP Plus from Bill Connolly in ESPN, Indiana has the 20th best defense in, in the country when they are like in the, in the 70s on offense. So this is a team that if it does anything well, it's, it's defense. And if they have their dudes, they might be – it might just progress from here, right? That I think – I think it, right that – I think it's possible that Indiana, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, and if they play Iowa, that would be five defenses that are all better than any defense they've faced so far because the Oregon defense they faced didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau. And, like, the one good player that Oregon had that day, like, really gave Ohio State problems. Yeah, I would still – even that Oregon defense still might have been better. I don't know how much – I mean, Michigan State's played nobody. At least – I mean, Iowa's numbers that you're seeing on defense so far have come – I mean, their four losses are against teams that were in the top ten at the time they played them. They've lost to Iowa, Cincinnati, Penn State, and then now Michigan State. Right. So they've at least played a very, very credible schedule. And I don't know if Michigan State's played anybody that has a winning record right now. True. Including Indiana, True. who's now two and four. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, we will have plenty of time to t- discuss. It's possible there's some frauds lurking in the Big Ten still because yeah. of just the way the schedule has shaken out for some teams. And what happened to Iowa on Saturday may be lurking for Michigan State. So we'll see. Yes. And, and because as you bring up the Iowa game, another team I would throw into that conversation coming in the last week, Michigan State was 39th in football outsiders defensive efficiency and Purdue was 35th, which is kind of a precursor to what ended up happening at Iowa. You had a team that was better defensively than people probably realized going up against a team that is, we knew had some issues offensively and that's how Purdue did upset. I'm only bringing that up because Ohio state also plays Purdue. So it's, it's kind of a whole second half of pretty solid defenses that Ohio state's going to have to face and Indiana sort of kicks that off. Um, Anything else that you like, your big like what you're looking for this week um Ohio State you know coming off of a bye week should be healthier no I mean I I think I think health uh is a factor and I just I am eager to see CJ Stroud and I think his expected continued maturity and poise and progression against a a defense that will give him um, even more to think about and have some good individual guys. Like, I think that's the thing about the Indiana, you know, I think Indiana has a good plan on defense and they have some good individual guys. So I'm just looking forward to more CJ Stroud and more tests for him and him maybe continuing to throw for 350 yards and five touchdowns against everybody. I think it's worth noting Ryan Day over the course of the season and especially these last couple of weeks when Stroud's had good performances, again, trying to parse between what's coach speak and what's a true analysis, but has brought up how well he prepares. And I think mm-hmm. this might be the most important two weeks of preparation for him. He needed, you probably took, I would assume he, he took some time off this past week. Like why, why push it with that shoulder? But like just the, the time in the film room to kind of get down what Indiana does. I texted this to our subscribers earlier this week. I read a piece that Deontay Lee, our, our old friend of the pod had done for pro football focus about George's defense and about how they use what they call the creeper and they'll bring in blitzes from weird spots and have guys up front drift back. And that's nothing I think like groundbreaking in the history of college football, but Georgia does it really well. And it, 
it's reminiscent a little bit of some of the things that Indiana was doing last year to, to mess up Justin Fields. I remember talking to Josh Myers, some of those other line linemen after the game and saying like that they didn't expect, you know, they, they just the way that they were, the, the way they were timing blitzes and the, where they were bringing pressure from was caught them off guard. So you've got to kind of like, it's one of the tough things I think for a quarterback, especially one who's in, you know, a redshirt freshman quarterback who's doing this all for the first time. How do you prepare for things that they're not showing you? No, and that's, I mean, again, it's, as you said, a young quarterback who hasn't seen it, if there's guys in passing lanes that you don't expect to be there because yep. there's a guy bringing pressure from this spot and that means these two defensive linemen dropped and you didn't see a guy underneath and that's how guys throw picks all the time is because they never, they never saw them because they didn't expect them to be there. And that's what you're talking about with that defensive thing where you get the effect of like a five-man pressure from a three-man pressure because you you drop defensive linemen that offensive linemen are prepared to block, and then you sort of have like a blitzer who might come free, but you still have eight guys in coverage. And again, it's just zone blitz. I mean, it's nothing. Steelers Dick LeBeau was yeah. doing that forever, but it's yeah. Yeah. it's a version of it that I think what Deontay was saying is can be really effective against spread offenses, and yeah. especially people who are trying to do maybe some RPO stuff, and all of a sudden – there's a guy underneath in your way of a quick passing game when you're just trying to spread people out and get guys in space. And if, if there are defenders there where quarterbacks are not expecting them to be, that's how you get picks. Yep. I will say partial refutation of everything I just said about this Indiana matchup. That Indiana defense last year did not have to respect Ohio State's run game the way this Indiana defense will. And I do wonder how that will affect the way that they like bring pressure and, and how they approach that because uh, master Teague was who he was and, and who he is productive, but not explosive in that same way. Trey, Trey Sermon had not yet risen like a Phoenix to become what he was for those three weeks late in the season. So yeah. Indiana didn't, Indiana could kind of sell out and come after Justin Fields in a different way. I don't know that they feel the same way about what happens if Trevion Henderson takes advantage of that. I think that's very true. The line for this game, I, I was chatting with our buddy Tyler Shoemaker, and it was funny because I said, uh, hey, I think it's going to be like uh, 17 and a half, right? And he's like, wow, that's like, I mean, I, I haven't done my numbers yet, but you're getting really good at this because I think I would have put it at like 17 last week. I'm like, yeah, like I looked at your your thing. Like that's why I said <laughs> it should be about 17 and a half. He's like, oh, okay. But uh, we were wrong. It was actually 19. Um, it's even a 19 and a half at one book I'm looking at right now, but 19 is the Vegas insider consensus and that's what it opened at. So last year, Ohio state was about a three touchdown favorite. I think it kicked off against Indiana. It's going to be close to that. Now, um, if it had been 17 and a half, I think I would have probably been telling people to go hit that. I think it's probably still going to get pretty good action at 19 just because Indiana can't score right now. No, they can't. And I, and I do think, we are getting to the point with this Ohio State offense. Maybe we're, we're well there. Like, what do you mean we're getting to the point? Like, maybe we've been there for a couple of weeks. Well, you know, 59, 52, 66, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, wake me when they don't score 50. So do, yeah. you, think, do you think Indiana is going to score 30? You don't? Okay, well, then take Ohio State. Now. I do think a night game in Bloomington 
their season's a wreck. This is it. There's nothing else like left that Tom Allen, you know, had his moment in the sun as a great motivational coach who gets the best out of his guys and everybody loves him. Can they conjure something? And again, this is where the thing of like, well, I would just like the Rutgers thing. It's like, it doesn't matter what kind of coach Greg Shiano is. They don't have any good players, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Indiana has a couple good players on defense. Mm-hmm. So if they get a little healthier, if Tom Allen goes crazy with this, the plan of attack, trying to get after CJ Stroud and they conjure something, I'm not saying Ohio state has any realistic chance to lose, but Indiana has more of a, like a talent heartbeat than a team like Rutgers. And it's possible that for Ohio state to go And again, one of these things, again, all betting is just facts presented with bias because you can look at anything. And so I don't know, are they going to be rusty after the buy? Are they going to be healthy and geared up after the buy? I don't know. But if you told like the idea that Ohio state goes to Bloomington, Tom Allen's got a little something, something Taiwan Mullen is healthy. Micah McFadden is a little healthier. And in the middle of the second quarter, it's 10, seven Indiana. That doesn't sound insane to me the way it would have sounded insane to me about going to Rutgers and having that happen. That doesn't sound insane. Then you get Ryan day and Matt Barnes at halftime and they figure stuff out and talent wins out and whatever. And Ohio state pulls away. But if they pull away and win 41, 24 or 38, 20, because Indiana really hung around early and all of a sudden it's almost like a backdoor cover on a 19 point line. That seems a little more plausible to me than anything that would have happened in Piscataway. So I almost, to me, it's like if Tom Allen's Tom Allen and listen, there was a lot of Tom Allen juice a year ago. Everybody loved the Tom Allen post-game speeches, right? Everybody loving each other. If Tom Allen is Tom Allen, you've got to conjure something. I get it. I get it that this season didn't go the way you wanted it to go. I get it Michael Penix is hurt. I get it that expectations at a place like Indiana are difficult to deal with. No one – a lot of us, right, Nathan, saw a version of this coming. But if you're Because of the schedule especially, the early schedule. Absolutely. And everything you said about the teams they've lost to is absolutely on on point. But if you've got a little something, Tom Allen, this is it. Show us what you got. So I'll be curious to see if, if what he can bring. Well, and those players that you mentioned, they're all players who have been there a while and have, I think, probably a lot of pride. And this is their shot to like to to do something this season. Like when when the wins and losses are getting away from you, this is you get to go up against your one shot against a team of this caliber and 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 try to take them out. For Fear Factor, which is our next segment, I, I'm putting this at a four and a half, not because I really think that there's, I don't think Indiana can beat Ohio State. Because of like, because I don't think of this, obviously we didn't predict Oregon to beat Ohio State either. In fact, I think we all predicted Oregon, Ohio State to even be able to beat the spread for that game. Maybe we thought it would be, but, but we at least respected Oregon on both sides of the ball to some extent. And we, I don't respect Indiana's offense. I just don't, as far as being a team that can come out and score at the level Ohio State does, but I'm giving it a fear factor four and a half to factor in what we often talk about, which is what could get exposed about Ohio state in a game like this. And could, if 
because last year I thought any Ohio State won that game regardless, whatever. But you came out of that game looking at Justin Fields and Ohio State's offense in a little different way because of the way Iowa or I'm sorry, Indiana had flummoxed them so badly. No, I think that's right. I, I think that's right. And that and conversely, if CJ Stroud comes out of this game looking completely in control, not flustered by what Indiana does, making throws with some talented defenders on the field, then you will feel even better than how people feel right now against a maturing, on-the-rise C.J. Stroud. Because that's the thing. that I think that your point is well taken. Don't respect Indiana's offense. Do respect their defense. So C.J. Stroud has an opportunity to, to really show something where I don't know that we're going to come away thinking any real different about the Ohio State defense because I don't think Jack Tuttle is going to do anything to really challenge them. We're taking another break. We will come back and talk about my AP ballot and some other things that are going on on the national level and a little bit more about who is the new number two team in the Big Ten here on Buckeye Talk. Ballot boxing, this is where Doug has the opportunity to take a chainsaw to my AP ballot if he so chooses. I had Ohio State number seven, which is it, it's essentially the same arrangement I had last week, except I bumped Oklahoma State up uh, a lot higher than people thought I should have. Where did you put Oklahoma State? I have him fourth. Uh, who do you, where do you have Cincinnati? Two. Okay. That I agree with. I do think Cincinnati should be ahead of Oklahoma. And I think that is pretty persuasive right now. And it may get less persuasive over time if, you know, as again, Cincinnati's schedule is not as good. But for Cincinnati to sort of follow up and really handle UCF, I thought yeah. was a statement to say, like, they are legitimately number two. And I don't, I don't know that there's a big question about that. You know, we've been doing a lot of talking in the playoff show last week with the undefeated teams. We were trying to figure out who to let into our discussion. And I think we were looking at Wake Forest, Kentucky, Michigan State, and Oklahoma State. And I think there was a lot of similar stuff about all those teams of like, well, you know, you're undefeated in a Power Five conference. I guess that means something, but I still don't really know how good you are right. but we're sort of running out of teams to have ahead of you so last week we put kentucky in because they'd beaten lsu in florida and they were getting ready to play georgia and we thought well let's get them in now and see what we think and then of course they lost to georgia no surprise but oklahoma state and wake forest and michigan state are still all there and i just don't know how much proof there is that any of them are actually that good, but I also don't exactly know what you're supposed to do. And for Oklahoma, for Oklahoma State this week to beat a Texas team at Texas that should have beaten Oklahoma the week before, that's a, that's a okay. kind of a pretty decent transitive win. Look, there, there is some stuff on, on Oklahoma State's resume that's not that attractive. Uh, they beat Missouri State by a touchdown to open the season. They beat Tulsa by five, which I will actually argue is not that different than Ohio State's 21-point victory over Tulsa, but still not that impressive. They win by one at Boise State, and Boise State's not 
I mean, they're traditionally solid, but I think they're three and four this year. That's probably not that different in some ways than winning at Minnesota. Beat Kansas State, but then their last two games, they beat Baylor. That's the only loss Baylor has, and Baylor's been pretty solid this year. And they win at Texas, which is now an unranked Texas team. But still, all Ohio State's beaten is unranked teams, too. So what do, you, what do you want me to say? Like, at some point, you have to credit where the wins have actually happened. And that's the other thing I've tried to explain to people. There's been some pretty um, – some spicy text message exchange. Nothing out of line, but people who, who dig on me, and I try to explain – what I'm thinking and it's not as if like if Oklahoma State loses to Iowa State in two weeks which is their next game it or no it's this coming weekend if they lose to Iowa State at Iowa State it's not like I'm gonna be like I was wrong or like like how stupid was I to put Oklahoma State up there because again it's just the snapshot of what teams have done as of this week and and it is I mean we have to go by results and we have to go by Comparative results as part of the thing. Boise State. Okay, so so BYU two weeks ago, mm-hmm. people were saying, well, if we're talking about Cincinnati this way as a non-Power 5 playoff contender, we should be talking about BYU that way. And then BYU the last two weeks lost to Boise State and Baylor. Yep. And Oklahoma State beat Boise State and Baylor this right. year. Right. So – like, okay, that's like an Oklahoma State absorbing BYU energy, but like BYU was 10th at that point when they were undefeated because they had beaten Utah and Arizona and Arizona State. So to have Oklahoma State like in the top eight, I think is guaranteed. And again, would Oklahoma State beat Alabama? No, I don't think they would. No. But for the snapshot, right now of the season, I think it is reasonable to have Oklahoma state ahead of Alabama. And again, I watched that whole Oklahoma state Tulsa game in preparation for Ohio state Tulsa. And my, what I came away with is they both suck. And then Tulsa (laughs) was playing a seven point game with Ohio state in the middle of the fourth quarter. And my conclusion still was Tulsa sucks. So you know, they're undefeated in the Power Five, and they have a couple decent wins, and so it's a weird year, and I'm not sure what's a definitively better answer. Yeah, no, uh, you, you. I think that's what you have to do is come up with a criteria and try to stick to it, and that's what I've been trying to do. And the other thing I would remind people of is nobody can go out and beat a top 10 team every week. You you can't come back to me and be like, well, they've only beaten this team that's kind of good. I'm like, yeah, that's what most games are. Like, you play teams that are like, all right, and then like, what you know, do you win those? Because not everybody goes out and wins those every time, such as when Ohio State already lost already this year. So that's I, <laughs> when you're arguing and you're making your arguments about teams. Remember that sometimes you just beat a decent team by a normal amount of points. It doesn't have to always be uh, blowing out a top 10 team because that very rarely happens. I have Alabama fifth, Oregon sixth, Ohio state seventh. Uh, I think that's reasonable. We've had the Oregon Ohio state discussion previously. Um, Trying to figure out where to put Alabama in relation to all that. Again, like if you go through Alabama's wins, right? Does Alabama have spectacular wins? No, but Ohio state doesn't have spectacular wins. So, Bama did beat Ole Miss. 
and they did beat Florida, which is no longer ranked by me it's, or it's no, yeah, the consensus. It's no longer but, a good win. Oh, I, th- I actually think Ole Miss is pretty good, actually. Yeah, and Ole Miss yeah. is like definitely better than anybody that Ohio State has beaten. Ole Miss is better than Maryland, right? Ole Miss is better than Minnesota. So, yeah. so I think that's a fair thing to go by. But again, like anybody who's upset about Ohio State, Ohio State has has three top ten teams left on its regular season schedule. Ohio State, if it wins, is going to be respected by everybody. And guess what? If Ohio State runs the table, you know who's going to be the two seed in the playoff? Ohio State. Unless Unless, Alabama. Unless Oklahoma's undefeated. But I think Ohio State could be with the wins it will have. Maybe, maybe. I think think to beat Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, and then probably Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. And Oklahoma will have beaten like – Iowa State and Oklahoma State and whoever else they have left, nobody huge. I think one loss Ohio State could be ahead of Oklahoma in the playoff rankings. And I think the only way maybe it wouldn't be happened is if somehow Oregon ran the table. But, like, nobody thinks that's going to happen. But it would be if Alabama beat Georgia, right, in the SEC championship game. But I think Ohio State, if it runs the table, is very much positioned to be the highest-ranked non-SEC playoff team. Yeah, even people who are ranking Oregon ahead of Ohio State right now, such as me, don't expect Oregon to run the table. I did have that conversation day also with the texter, like, hey, I'm worried what happens if Oregon runs a table and and it ends up at the – and so does Ohio State. Like, what if it comes down to one of them? I'm like, well, that's why you beat Oregon. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? Like, don't lose to Oregon at home if you don't want it to come down to that. Like, that's, that's how life works, man. Um, nothing else here too controversial probably. Um, are you ranking Clemson yet again? They were 26th, I think, in the AP this week. Did you rank I, I Two weeks ago, I briefly put them back in my top 25, and then I took them back out. Because they're looking shaky again a little bit. So, I mean, it's not like they're earning anyone's respect. I'm just curious. Like, we're reaching the point where, like, you know, a 4-2 and two team <laughs> well, that, is getting, should be ranked maybe. That's like uh, somebody who I used to uh, somebody used to work for the rival site that covered Purdue said tonight on Twitter, um, or maybe it was yesterday, said, you know, I would have waited. This is from a Purdue follower. Said um, I would have waited to see what happens with Purdue against Wisconsin before putting them in the top twenty-five. And I said, you would have said that until you then tried to decide who else to rank number twenty-five. Like speaking as someone who then had to go do that because I was thinking the same thing. I ended up putting Purdue 25th because who among those teams that you're considering at the bottom has a win as good as going to Iowa and handling them the way they did. And my two zombie teams this week were Iowa State at 23rd and Utah at 24th. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't quite get there on Clemson. They were in the mix, like along with Pitt and Air Force and a bunch of other teams I was considering at 25. I actually felt like I had an interesting – a lot of times you get to 25 and you're just like really holding your nose. I thought there were some interesting decisions this week. So I actually kind of enjoyed filling out my poll this week just to end up getting bashed for it as usual. <laughs> as usual. <laughs> so uh, what's that? M- margin call. Last week I picked Lincoln Riley for this, for refusing to let um, his quarterback talk to his freshman quarterback who came in and, and played awesome, talk to the media. And this past week, uh, the student newspaper at Oklahoma got out a pair of binoculars and went up on a building and looked in at practice and saw that Caleb Williams saw that he was taking the majority of the ones 
over Spencer Rattler, the majority of the number one snaps. And they wrote it. And Lincoln Riley responded by canceling media for the rest of the week. So I'm putting Lincoln Riley on my list again for just being uh, a coward. I, I, college football teams have a right to privacy. But if you want, I guess, that level of privacy, use your $50 billion indoor facility, I suppose. The one thing I would say is I think if I was advising those student reporters, I would say maybe use that information a little more tactfully. Maybe you don't have to say we got up on a building and looked in and this is what we saw. I would find a way to like more gracefully report that information. I just text it. They should have text subscribers. Yeah. Just text and them. And if we in a similar situation, you'd be getting that text, everybody. 614-350-3315. It is one of those things, the idea, if it's, it, this happens all the time in college football. You have a thing in college football that's sort of like, well, you know, it's kind of the thing. And then if you tell anyone in the rest of the universe, the real world, how it works, it would be like, wait, so how did you see the thing? I was standing in a public, uh, in a public building and I can see the practice field. Okay, so you saw it? Were you sure that it was true? Yeah, no, it was definitely true. Was it going to cause anyone like physical harm? Were you putting anyone's life in danger by reporting it? no no it's just like football yeah, practice we're not recording okay, troop it, movements so you're not like you're not allowed to would you go to jail if you reported it no no i wouldn't go to jail so like what would happen if you reported it well then i maybe couldn't talk to anybody for a week it's like well okay you're gonna report it right and it's like sometimes you know the, the thing of it is how do i i do think as a journalist you are responsible to the other journalists doing the same job as you to some degree. You can't just go around blowing up people, sure. blowing up people's livelihoods because you are reckless and you're like, I don't care. I'm, I'm an outsider. I can't be bought and sold. I'll do whatever I want. Like that's, I don't think that serves the greater good of anybody, but readers and fans and listeners come first. Like, so 100%. Sorry, rest of the Oklahoma beat. That's kind of like your beefs with Lincoln Riley, not with the, the student paper. And like everybody said, it's like, well, you could have done it too. And it was kind of like the information about whether Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler was playing was more valuable than anything anybody was going to say about anything that week. So yep. good job by them, I guess. If you were advising the Oklahoma Daily, whatever they are, um, the Oklahoma student paper, would I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but people I think sometimes like when we talk about journalism and sourcing and, and how our brain works on some of these things. Would you have just had them report it? The the, uh, the Oklahoma Daily paper, student paper, whatever, that has learned that this happened. Like this was the distribution of snaps. Would you have sourced it more vaguely in order to protect the fact that you stood on a building with binoculars and looked in at practice? Or do you feel like the more ethical thing to do, maybe the only ethical thing to do is say, well, this is what, this is how we did it. And this is what we saw. It's how we know that it's true. It's not just something we're hearing secondhand. Yeah. Cause they even had like, he was, Caleb Williams was 12 of 16 in the practice session that we, mm -hmm. that we saw and that kind of thing, which is there is stuff that happens. There are schools and like some NFL teams and stuff that are like, you can come watch practice but you can't report this, you can't report this, and you can't yep. report this. And you would not be jailed. 
you would not be putting anyone's life in danger by doing it. But if you did it, they would just be like, well, then you just can't come to practice anymore. Because we let you in to watch There's and learn and be, be more aware and serve your readers. But we told you, well, don't do this because we don't want you giving away the trick plays we're working on or whatever. Exactly. And it's always so, strategic things like yeah. that, though. But Lincoln it's, Riley thought that was strategic. Right or wrong, he thinks the opponent, not knowing whether Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler is taking first-team reps, he thinks that's strategic. So plenty of reporters enter into agreements for access by agreeing to hold back some information. And so we can't pretend that doesn't happen, and we can't pretend the right kind of agreement doesn't both serve readers and serve the media and protect the team, whatever. I think I would advise the student paper to do it, absolutely do it. But I don't think like, well, question you do it. Do it and then decide what you're going to do with it. But you can't do anything if you don't have the information. Right. So do it. And then I think I maybe would have like contacted Lincoln Riley and been like, listen, we know that Caleb Williams is taking first team reps. So we're going to report that. Would you confirm that for us? And we'll just like, if you confirm it, if you confirm it for us and we can report a source confirmed that Caleb Williams took first team reps, we'll report that and we won't report anything else. Like we'll just, we'll, but if you don't confirm it, we know it to be true. And then we're going to report everything that we know. Right. Because I don't think people cared that much that he was 12 of 16 in practice. Well, I don't think that really. Who was who going to be the, the starting quarterback. Yeah. Who's going to be the starting quarterback on Saturday. So I do think you could have done it in a way where you get the information and you're always better served. And they might've done that. And Lincoln Riley might've told them to go fly a kite. And so they just reported everything they yeah. saw. And then Lincoln Riley, when, he, when they called him, Lincoln Riley might've been like, what are you doing? How did you get that information? If you report that I'm shutting access down. And they said, fine, we're reporting it. If you don't want to, you know, but all, I mean, almost always, if it's not, like, well, even if you are, even if you're tipping off like a bad person to a story that you're writing about them that's going to cast them in a negative light, you're still better off giving them four hours notice, being like, this is going up. You can't stop it. We're not doubting it, but we're giving you a chance to respond preemptively. So I would have called Lincoln Riley, and then maybe you strike a deal that serves your readers, maintains access for you and everybody else on the beat the rest of the week. And Lincoln Riley's ticked, but at least you gave him a heads up. And maybe they did that. Maybe that's exactly what happened. But if they just watched and reported it and Lincoln Riley didn't know anything about it until he read it in the paper, nobody – you find this out over time. I've done, I mean, when I was a young journalist, I did it wrong plenty of times. Mm -hmm. You find out how much people dislike finding things out about themselves in the paper. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've oh, got yeah. to tell them ahead of time. You can't be afraid – to tell them ahead of time. Cause like, if you're afraid to tell them, then you maybe shouldn't be writing it because you can't, you can't even stand up to their face to say, this is the deal. Whether it's a factual story or an opinion column or whatever. Listen, I, I'm saying this, I'm giving you a chance to respond to it before it appears, or I'm at least giving you a heads up that it's going to appear. Yeah. And then they at least can MF you in person first and you have to give them that right. So it is, I think it's an interesting lesson, but, 
I would say they did not do anything wrong. It's just the sort of a choice on how you deal with it. Yeah, and I learned that the hard way um, reporting one time on a, a, a player who had gotten in some legal trouble. And I didn't think anything of because the player had already been suspended. I was just kind of reporting the details of why he'd been suspended. And I didn't think anything of it because your assumption is, well, the coaching staff knows the details of this. That's why he's suspended. So I just reported it and then come to find out that, that they didn't know the whole story as to why he's gotten suspended. So it, it kind of rubbed them the wrong way. Like, oh, wait, we're kind of getting blindsided by this. Whereas if I had contacted them, it's not like they would have told me, hey, don't report that. They would have just – and you find out this out later because in, in future situations like that, you just always say like, hey, just by the way, I'm reporting this. And they'd be like, oh, thanks for telling me. And then right. they go on about their day because they, they already know it's happening. So. Uh, I will be interested. I think some of those student, um, somebody at some point will talk to those student reporters or their advisor and we'll get some more details on how that all went down. And I'll be curious to see what happened, but I still think Lincoln Riley's kind of maybe a little bit of a coward. So they um, serve the public though. They serve their readers by providing yep. information that they gathered through means that did not break any laws or violate any ethical standards. So, right. And did not, actually hurt Oklahoma football because guess what they played Caleb Williams and they won and they were fine and it's never as much of a secret as coaches think it is no and the other team is definitely preparing for both guys it's not like they you know whatever that student paper reported that week probably didn't change their opponent's game plan that much anything you wanted to throw out there for margin call yeah I'll sell the west can I sell the whole big 10 west I mean is it possible is it possible that Iowa was simultaneously the second best team in the country and the fifth best team in the West. Like they don't even (laughs) that they, they like everybody. So they have one. So the whole thing with Iowa is that Iowa was six and O and had not played a game against the West yet. The rest of their schedules against the West, because they were three and O against the East and three and O in non-conference. And, but like the, the East is better. Like they'd beaten Indiana, they'd beaten Penn state, right. They'd play some, so, but now it's like everybody's got their shot at them. So Iowa has one loss, but Minnesota has one loss. Has Iowa left on the schedule? If Minnesota wins out, Minnesota wins the West. Purdue has one loss. Iowa has one loss. Purdue's in first place right now. Because yep. Purdue and Iowa have the same record in the Big Ten, and Purdue has the head-to-head win. If Purdue wins out, Purdue's going to the Big Ten championship game. Northwestern, two losses. They have to play Iowa yet. They have to play Minnesota. They have to play Purdue. So if Northwestern wins out, Northwestern's going to the Big Ten Championship. But like practically everybody in the West, if they, other than Illinois and Nebraska, if they win out, they're the West champ. So Iowa controls like nothing anymore. They went from number two in the country to like, they might go right now. What's a better chance right now? You think Iowa ends the season eleven and one? What's a better chance? Only these two options: eleven and one or eight and four. Eleven and one. Okay, but but if you had said like nine and three, yeah, I mean it, right? It's, a, it's yeah. like well, they don't play anybody good, but they could lose to Minnesota. Well, they could lose to Northwestern. Well, they could lose to Wisconsin. No, that like right? I mean, I mean Minnesota just Nebraska won after Purdue. Yeah, I mean, oh, so, Nebraska—that's the one. Like, I could totally see like Nebraska beating Iowa for no reason. To save Scott Frost's job on the last in the la- on that Friday I mean, after Thanksgiving, the last game of the regular season. Yeah, all bets are off. It, it, that, that's one of those weird. So, you know, I I'll, Hawkeye fans, I will take the blame for this because last week in madness, I was doing 
my, I was looking back at our preseason predictions from the cleveland.com poll. And in the process of doing that, I was also doing new predictions and my new prediction as far as Iowa, um, as far as the big 10 West was that some Iowa fans would forget to make reservations at, at St. Elmo's and wouldn't be able to get in for the week of the Big Ten Championship game. So I was giving them other restaurant recommendations. I just moved right past any chance that Iowa would not be the team representing the West in Indianapolis on December 3rd or whatever it is. So I'm, it's, my, it's my fault. They're a weird team, right? I mean, I don't, when they force turnovers and get you back on your heels, whatever, but it's like David Bell was the best offensive player. I well, mean, we knew that going in. David Bell's the best offensive player in that game. The oh no, no question and the similarities between the Iowa game and the Purdue win over Ohio State in 2018. Now that game was in West Lafayette and it was by a different score, obviously. But like it, the Iowa was a team that was ranked number two, but one whole side of the ball was very sus- suspect for them. Purdue was probably a little bit better in terms of performance than it. It's record indicated at that point. They're four and two now. They've lost to Notre Dame and then they lost at home to Minnesota. They'd gone three straight weeks in a row where they'd only scored 13 points. And like one of those weeks, they like snuck past Illinois. Like they they did not look like a any but but again, as I just referenced earlier in the podcast, like the defensive performance, like underlying all of that has been pretty strong. And again, in that matchup. But then when you put an NFL player on the offensive side of the ball that could like maybe – and David Bell has just absolutely – I've never seen a player in college. I mean, sure, it's happened. But, like, this is the player that I'm the most aware of, just, like, repeatedly killing a team. Mm. David Bell in his career against Iowa, 13 catches, 197 yards, two touchdowns. 13 catches, 121 yards, three touchdowns. 11 catches, 240 yards, and one touchdown. 37 catches for 558 yards and six touchdowns. That's that's a like all Big Ten receiving season in some oh years, it God. seems like. And he's done that in three games against Iowa. Just savage them. Kirk Ferentz is driving him to the NFL Combine tomorrow. That is unbelievable. I, that, that's got to be – I don't even know how you would go about researching that, but to find any receiver who had three – better games total against any single opponent in his college career. I think you'd have a hard time with that. And then that's just, that's three for three. And it's probably only three times only playing him because David Bell's really good. I'm really looking forward to seeing David Bell play Ohio state. Like I, I'm, this is, I think we're always this way with Ohio state, but it's like, it's fun when like other really great players get on the field against Ohio state. Well, that's and one I'm, of the things for Ohio state is what did you come away more from the Purdue, Iowa win the Purdue, Iowa game. That Ohio State like would should not be worried about Iowa in a potential Big Ten championship game. That if Iowa does win the West, Ohio State's like we're going to beat those guys, or that they should be worried about Purdue because they have these three big games left against teams in the East, but they also have Purdue and David Bell is David Bell. You know, I don't know because <laughs> Purdue's first touchdown drive they rotated three quarterbacks. Like there's just some like weird stuff that they were doing, but it worked. Like you can't like right. so. I, that's the other thing, I guess. If I'm a Ohio State, like I'm keeping that in my back pocket. Like you know, if if your defense is still a little bit suspect, do they find a way to take advantage of it? They're still using a red shirt or a, a walk on at quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. So I don't know. I I still don't know that Purdue being able to score 24 points and beat Iowa is one thing. You ain't gonna beat Ohio State scoring 24 points. 
No, that's true. That's true. Iowa, by the way, off this week with a chance to recover, and then at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, and they could lose either of those games for sure. So who's number two? This is what we close with. I have, I have Iowa ranked number two among Big Ten teams in my AP poll. I think so, I would probably say with a healthy Sean Clifford, Penn State is the second best team in the Big Ten. And we don't know on Sean Clifford yet, right? I mean, like the like next check, big thing for Ohio State is will Sean Clifford be healthy two weeks from now to face Ohio State? I am, as much as I am very, uh, we've talked about a bunch, head-to-head wins mean a lot to me. Iowa beat Penn State because Penn State's quarterback got hurt. So, like, that is a time when I would be willing to disregard that head-to-head result. Mm-hmm. Or at least then when Iowa falls up with a stinker against Purdue. Again, resume, I would be, I would think about putting Penn State ahead of Iowa. Penn State's better than Iowa. Like, that's just like, if Penn State has Sean Clifford, they're better than Iowa is, and they're the second-best team in the Big Ten. And I'm not so sure that I wouldn't put them like kind of right there with Ohio State and just until maybe, you know, again, test, test Ohio State a little bit more. But I just think there's a lot of good pieces. I think there's a lot of good pieces to Penn State. And it might remind me a little bit of Alabama, Texas A&M, and that Texas A&M wasn't a perfect team, but they had a lot of good pieces. And then when they played Alabama, which was a better overall team, like Texas A&M, found a way to lean on its best pieces as much as possible and Alabama which is really good but isn't as good as last year like just made a couple mistakes it couldn't afford to make and that was it and then I I think that might be I could see Ohio State has more talent across the board than, than Penn State everybody knows that but Penn State's good secondary Jahan Dotson maybe if Sean you know Sean Clifford's playing a little bit of a run game with Sean Clifford and like they have that guy from the temple transfer with a little pass yeah. rush. Like I could just see, you know, one through 22 Ohio state's better, but man, like these eight really good Penn state players, Penn state just featured them in a way that allowed them to try to carry the day the way Texas A&M's best eight players carried the day against Alabama. Penn state actually did just though in that Iowa game, lose one of its best players. Um, PJ Mustafer, the, the defensive oh, right. tackle. He's yep. out for the year now. So that's that's one less guy that they have to try to stop what Ohio State's doing offensively, which I still think is going to be probably still too explosive, but we'll see. But that that, that means that we've come back around now to I, Ohio State being the best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, if we're, if I mean, we're discussing who number two is. I think the Clifford injury throws that into question for sure, and just the continued improvement on both sides of the ball for Ohio State, even though they're off this week. Well, we'll see if that holds. After the Buckeyes go to Bloomington on Saturday, I'll be there. Are you going, Doug? I am going. I'll be there. We'll have a a full house in Memorial Stadium for that game, 7.30 Saturday night. Until then, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Lamarice. That was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.